So Money episode 843, Todd Herman, author of The Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Life is challenging. Life is hard. You know, leveraging an alter ego to allow you to slay those dragons and those enemies to to move more gracefully through things is a fantastic thing to leverage. Do you have a secret identity? Our guest today says you might want to consider adopting one. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi, and today we are welcoming Todd Herman to the program. Todd is the author of the new book, The Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life. And just to put things in perspective, just how hot this book is, it had close to 20 publishers fighting over it quite the bidding war. And you can actually get your copy tomorrow when it hits all bookstores. Who is Todd Herman? He is a friend. He grew up on a farm in Alberta, Canada, milking cows, taking care of chickens. Today, he is a toughness and performance coach to professional and Olympic athletes. He's also a dad. He's also a leadership and performance advisor to billionaires and hundreds of entrepreneurs. And not to mention, he is created this incredible business achievement program called the 90 Day Year. It's catered uh, to business owners who want to master the art of execution. I've actually spoken at 90 Day Year. I know firsthand Todd is incredible at what he does. Now, today he's going to share why having an alter ego is critical to achieving your goals, whether they're to master your finances, climb in your career, anything, and how to identify and tap into your alter ego. Todd's also going to share the alter egos of some pretty famous people, including Oprah. She's actually talked about how she channels a specific group of people. I had no idea about this. And then finally, the incredible daily practice that Todd says uh, has been the greatest method for him to build and nurture relationships. It's something we can all do. And it's actually quite simple when you think about it. Here is Todd Herman. Todd Herman, welcome to So Money and congratulations. Your book is launching tomorrow. I feel very fortunate to have you on right before it happens, before you take over the world even more than you have already. But welcome to So Money. Farnoosh Tarabi, you are a peach. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's an exciting time. Calling me a peach from a farm boy. Grew up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm going to take that as a compliment. Yes, you um, should. It's a, it's a colloquial term that is a term of endearment. So yes. <laughs> Wonderful. So let's just get right to the big news, which is your new book, your first book, probably mm-hmm. one of many. It's called The Alter Ego, well, Alter Ego Effect, The Power of Secret Identities to Transform Your Life. And this is really a book that encapsulates your life's work in training top athletes to perform at their peak. And, you know, there's a lot of philosophical uh, quotes out there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I mo- hashtag Monday motivation on Instagram. You hear like, just be yourself. It's all about. 
being yourself. And what you're prescribing is this alter ego effect, which reconcile that for me. So am sure. I being myself? If I'm, Am I being someone different? How do I, what does that mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, I always challenge people around the idea that what does, what does, um, cause authenticity is really the term that people kind of will, will trot out then. Right. And, um, and, but what does authenticity mean? And so for me, someone who helps, um, Olympic athletes, um, top pro athletes or top leaders in business and entrepreneurs and all sorts of types with our training programs. Um, the thing that people struggle with the most is that when they lay their head on the pillow at night and they get there and they look back on their day, that there were these moments where they didn't perform like they know that they could. And I call those that we call those things moments of impact where there was this opportunity to say something, introduce yourself to someone, you know, maybe speak up at a, in a, in a conference room when someone had shared something or when someone makes a comment to someone else that put them down in some way and, and you don't say something or you don't do something or you didn't respond to your son or daughter the way that you wanted to. Um, well, that's operating inauthentically. And I'm not saying that to beat people up and you're supposed to judge yourself with it, but that's what, that's what we as human beings do. We beat ourselves up when we lay our head on the pillow at night and we just lament about what we could have done. And so authenticity in my world and in, I think I would encourage other people's world, other people's world is to think of it like this. It's that when the results that you're getting on the field of play, the ambitions that you have are not a reflection of who and what you're capable of. That is authenticity or being inauthentic is when you have the capacity to do something and you're not doing it. That's inauthenticity. And so that's why, I mean, the term fake it till you make it. It's a terrible term because, well, A, the word fake it is in there. And um, there's, as you know, there's probably better ways of saying things than, than that. The alter ego effect has nothing to do with faking something because Faking something, that feels like an outside approach. It's like an outside, I'm going to fake it on the outside, but inside I'm actually not feeling that way. This, and, and I talk about the science of it throughout the book, this is about acting very intentionally about who and what we're bringing onto our important fields of play that we stand on. And I use that term all the time. It just represents, you know, we all have different stages. We have, you know, you've got your vocational world or your, your business world that you stand on, or you've got your home life, or you've got your relatives, or you've got your friends that you hang out with. Those are all different stages or circumstances that you put yourself in. And of course, we all have different parts of our personality that get magnified when you're not the same when you're with your friends as you are with mom and dad. There's elements of you that get highlighted. Right. Mm. And, and so this, uh, this adoption of an alter ego or a secret identity that we use to help people perform is to allow some people who have struggled with themselves because of maybe trauma, something that happened to them in the past, or it could be even something as simple as I want to maybe tap into a different side of my personality. And it's a creative expression for them. Um, and we can talk about stories and examples in a second, um, just allows them to activate something that is really powerful um, and a part of the human condition. And it's this ability to create our own worlds, this imagination, this creative imagination that human beings are gifted with that truly makes us unique on the planet. Well, we leverage that to help us get out of our own way and untap the capabilities that we have instead of keeping them trapped inside of us. 
the promise of your book is is quite liberating that you can actually step into this alternative mm-hmm. persona to accomplish what you want to accomplish and um, to transition to one story that was really pivotal for you I guess maybe was your aha moment was when you met Bo Jackson. Mm-hmm professional athlete who took on the alter ego of Jason from Friday the 13th when he would step on the field, which begs the question, how do you identify who this alter ego is and should be? He happened to watch a movie and was sort of fascinated by the cold calculating nature of Jason. Um, And maybe that's what was um, he related to that to, on some level, but how do you identify this person, this alternative ego? Yeah. So we all, we all have these, um, parts of our, uh, parts of ourselves that the, I mean, and I, and I talk about in the book and as, as just a frame of reference, I talk about the ordinary world and the extraordinary world and in the ordinary world, the, the enemy pulls us in there and he uses, you know, different forces to, to kind of trap us, which are things like judgment and criticism and worrying about what others are thinking about, uh, about you. Um, and as, and like I said before, like trauma is something that is a major hidden force or imposter syndrome. And so there's, anyway, there's these parts of ourselves that we wish sometimes we were showing up as, and they actually end up coming down to like qualities and characteristics that maybe we wish that we were displaying. And it's the most obvious thing to go to for people as a frame of reference is when you're watching a movie, because you're so caught up in the story and you resonate with it. And there might be something with the protagonist that you're like, Oh man, I I wish I was like, wish I could, or I love what I love how Lara Croft is just, is just so adventurous and she can just figure it out. Like MacGyver just figures things out or, you know, James Bond is just like cool and calm and just that, that brazen confidence that he walks into a room with, or you could go to superheroes or literary characters. And so all of us have some character from our past that we just naturally are drawn towards. And you just ask yourself, well, what is it about them? Because sometimes we, we see in those characters, what we wish that we had in ourselves. And then when you relate it to like, if it's, you're struggling with something in business, maybe you're in a sales role or maybe you're a a parent and you wish like my alter ego when um, I've got three little kids live here in New York city. And uh, I tell people it's like raising an oak tree and a thimble um, uh, here in, in New York. But when I think, when I think of someone who is almost inarguably just the best human around children. It was Mr. Rogers and I grew up watching Mr. Rogers. And so if I can, if I can take on some of his characteristics as a parent, you know, and, and they're inside of me, I'm just using him as a frame of reference to draw them out of me so that when, you know, my, my middle one, Sophie, who's got this fantastic ability to, um, send a crescendo of, uh, you know, screeching and crying to a level that drives me into a rage. Um, it would be terrible for me to meet that energy with, you know, a rageful energy as well, or anger as well. And so, well, what would, what would Mr. Rogers do in that moment? Well, he would always get down on his knee and get down to eye level with, with the, with, um, young kids. So that's what I do as well. And instead of me coming at them with that same emotion, I'm going to come at them with the same sort of, um, uh, caring and affection and love that, that he would. Now, um, it might sound crazy to someone that, you know, that I have to literally think about that, but again, none of us are perfect human beings. And so mm-hmm. using these things as helpful totems and just markers for us to adopt. And I mean, it's, it's transformed the way that, you know, Sophie in the past would have kind of gone off 
And because that's my first response now is to get down and just give her a big hug and embrace the long, the length of time that it takes for her to kind of overcome those things is completely, um, uh, shrunk in, you know, to, you know, a few seconds as opposed to several minutes. But I think the world would be a better place if we all adopted Mr. Rogers to some extent yeah, and, in our and I don't know if you, I, don't, I don't know if you've ever seen the amazing documentary that was done yes, on him. Yes, of course. But a third of that documentary is talking about what? His alter ego. That cat puppet that he used. Yeah. And his and his wife talks about it in the movie where she said he used the puppet as his alter ego, but that was really who he truly was. He allowed the puppet to kind of draw out of him how he really felt, which was this loving and affection. And, you know, for Daniel him. Daniel Tiger? Was it the Daniel Tiger? Daniel character? Tiger was his. Was now, was his, like, taken on the. He's like the new generation, Mr. Rogers. It exactly what it's exactly what it is. And so, which, which is just incredible. Like, I get shivers thinking about it because as soon as yeah. I started watching the movie. Oh, I, I was in tears yeah. on a plane watching this. I was that person. And yeah. So I watched it on, I watched it on a plane as well. <laughs> <so>. window seat. <laughs> um, but the, what's, what's crazy about this is um, uh, what I know is going to happen from the book, because again, I've been living in this world for, I mean, I've been building alter egos for um, athletes to help them with performance for, you know, well over a decade, it's been 16 years. And, um, I, I know that it's kind of one of those things where I'm people are, people can't unsee it. Now they're going to hear people talk about it all the time in interviews that it's, it's such a prolific thing. And the most common response I get back from people actually has nothing to do with, you know, it being inauthentic or being fake or it, that's actually very rarely an objection I get mm-hmm. from people. What people often say is, Todd, I feel like I've been doing that or I've done that in the past. And my response back to people all the time is, I know you have, because it's a, it's a natural part of the human condition. Every young kid, every single one of us pretended to be a superhero at some point in time or a nurse or a fireman or a cowboy or insert whatever, you know, um, role or kind of character there is out there. We all played with this idea. And then over time we're told to act our age and, and then we, start to create a narrative in our head that, Oh, acting my age or, or growing up means stop being playful. And yet this is the thing that, I mean, 82% of my clients, just so you know, um, in pro Olympic sports and in high achieving other fields, I have referred off to, um, some of the top therapists on the planet because many, many people are driven, uh, by, by trauma. Many, many people, I'm one of them, uh, have done, have been through some tough things and that's not what I do. I'm not a therapist by any stretch of the imagination. I am a mental game strategist and peak performance, which means I I'm giving people strategies to help continue to perform. Now I'm not here to help someone unpack trauma. There's other people that are far more skilled at that. And I think you would agree. There's a lot of people out there who are kind of who, who say that they do a heck of a lot more than what their skills allow them to. It's like the answer that, you know, because I'm a life coach, I can do, um, I can solve everyone's problem. Well, maybe you should stay in your lane and, and just stick to your specialty. But, um, you know, five. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your background. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we've known each other for some time, but we really haven't had an opportunity to unpack Todd Herman a little bit. Uh, and you have on your site these really fun bullets, bullet points mm-hmm. about like fun facts about Todd Herman. So I just want to share some of those with our audience to give a little bit of color to the man behind this amazing book. So we've already established that you're a farm boy mm-hmm. from um, Alberta, Canada. 
And this, this was fascinating to, to read. You are a daily letter writer. You've written over 4,000 personal letters to people five a week since you were in your early 20s. What, why? Uh, I was at first, it was a challenge by an early mentor of mine, Jim Rohn, who was uh, famous in the, um, speaking world back in the, in the early nineties, he passed away in 2009, but he was kind of one of the fathers of the speaking world and an amazing business philosopher. But, uh, he, we, we were talking about just sort of some of the things that he would, I, I was just asking him, like, where are some, like, when you point to some of the activities that you do that help you to be successful? Like, what are they? And oftentimes, like we all do this, we, we think of, um, like, uh, some action steps that are, that take you directly towards the goal. And, and his, uh, and what he said was relationships are always the thing that are going to grease the slide for you, Todd. Never forget that. Like when the person, when some, when two people might be going after the same contract to get, um, a job and, uh, one person is amazing at persuasion, but the other person knows the owner of the company and they've had a relationship for a long time, that person's going to get the role. So anyways, he was just, he was just telling me about that. And he said, you know, that, that I, that he has a habit of writing letters to people. So I thought, okay, well, um, maybe I'll write, I said to him, I said, well, I'll write a letter. And he's like, I challenge you to write, um, a letter a week. And I did it. And I wrote my first letter and, um, only a few days later I got a response back from the person and it was so positive. It made me feel so good. And, um, and I was like, well, why wouldn't I want to do this every single day? And so people talk about like gratitude journals and how important, you know, that emotion of gratitude is. And so my, my, my letter a day writing habit is my way of taking the, um, amazing, powerful emotion of gratitude and not keeping it with me and passing it on. So if I read for new Strabi's amazing book, I will sit down and I will write you a letter. Every single book I've ever read, I've always uh, sent a letter to that author. And the most common response back I get from people, and again, I've written now well over 4,000 letters, is you have no idea how much I needed to get this today. Because just think wow. about it. Life is challenging, yeah. which is actually what I talk about in the book. Just life, life is challenging. Life is hard. You know, leveraging an alter ego to allow you to slay those dragons and those enemies to, to move more gracefully through things is a fantastic thing to leverage. Writing a letter to someone and saying, you know, Farnoosh, we've never had the, we've never had the opportunity to meet before, but I just wanted to um, say how much I appreciate you uh, sitting down and slaving away at writing this book. I, you know, before I actually wrote a book, my, uh, what I would say is I've never written a book before, but what I know is from hearing other people talk about it, it's the most difficult thing. Specifically, I love what you wrote on page 72. It completely shifted my perspective about money. And then I'll put in the words that you, um, that you said in the book. And then I'll say, um, just, I'll end it with simply, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to put your words and your experiences on paper. It impacted me. So thank you all the best. Todd Herman. And, and I never, I never ask for anything. There's no, Hey, if you're ever in New York city sometime, you know, ping me, right. yeah, I'd like to buy a coffee. <laughs> Nothing like that. It's just, here's my resume. Yeah. Right. Um, um, you, are you emailing these letters now? Because it's so no. hard to find people's home addresses. No, not at all. Um, in fact, I've got my, uh, I've got my kit that I use every single morning and I use, I have a, a wax seal. Wow. So I, you know, use the classic, you know, the old school, I, I drip the wax on the, on the envelope and I have my seal and I stamp it shut. And, uh, I even have a very specific wax that I use because the way that the, uh, people who've never sent a wax sealed letter before don't know this, but if you use too hard of wax, 
the um, the way that um, letters are sorted in the uh, U.S. Postal Service and any other postal service ends up breaking the wax. So you have to use a wax that's got some flexibility to it. So I have a specific wax that I use. And um, my goodness, the art of letter writing yeah. by Todd Herman. Yeah. This is, uh, no, I don't. I, but yeah, I don't. Um, I don't email anything. I I want to show up in someone's uh, in mailbox. You are a bright sock enthusiast as well. Did you like that transition? Oh, just, that, was, that was that was that was yeah. that was very journal, <laughs> that was very journalistic. That was outstanding. Yes, uh, <laughs> my Columbia master's degree uh, in. <laughs> in action. Um, you are a root beer aficionado. You're a dyslexic. Big time. What age were you when you realized this and how have, how, how, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a triumph in and of itself to come to sort of m- m- manage that. Right. And, and then become so successful. I actually find that many dyslexics are like some of the most brilliant people I've ever met. Well, and here's, so here's the interesting thing about it. So I've become a bit of a I'd say armchair expert at dyslexia. So there's actually 29 types of dyslexia. Uh, last time I was told or, or checked and you know, they might've found more, but um, I didn't find out until I was in a car accident uh, when I was in my early twenties. And um, my, really? yeah, I got, I got kind of T-boned. I got hit from the side by a moving truck. And so it was a big, not a semi, but a big truck. And my head went into the windshield on my, my side window. And then he kept on pushing me and into a, um, a lights, a lamp standard. And then my head kind of got thrown into the other side because my seatbelt busted and all this. Anyway, um, so I had to get all this like psychological testing done. And when I was doing, going through this test, uh, they were giving me around just how my vision was working. This, uh, psychiatrist came in, she said, have you been diagnosed with dyslexia? And I said, uh, no, she's like, you got like, you've got dyslexia. And I said, well, that would explain my entire childhood then because, you know, reading was so hard for me. Um, you know, so there's, there's people who get letters mixed up. There's some people who get words mixed up. So the sentence doesn't make sense. Mine is that the sentences and the, um, the, you know, the argument of a paragraph gets jumbled by the time I get finished the paragraph. So it, it doesn't make sense in my head. And that, so I'd have to reread the same paragraph like 17 times. So if someone else is finishing a, you know, 110 page, you know, book when they're in grade six, in, you know, three hours, it's taking me an entire weekend to get through it. Um, and how it ended up shaping a lot of my personality was I was a class clown and I used that to deflect away the attention of maybe calling on me, especially after a reading assignment. Um, and so, you know, you're a class clown and you're interrupting kids and which is a very common thing amongst people who are ADD or uh, dyslexic, um, and to your point about successful people, you know, four of the six sharks on shark tank, are dyslexic. Hmm. Um, yeah. and it's because, because the world that you're operating inside of because school is so rigid because that world is not, is, is not, um, flexible and adaptable to you because it's so rigid. You have to have, end up finding creative ways to exist inside of it. So you end up leveraging and building a very good creative problem solving, uh, muscle at a young age, which then only serves you later in life. It doesn't feel like it's serving you early in life, but you build this really kind of strong muscle that really does serve you. And so I actually do a lot of, uh, um, kind of, uh, I used to do a lot more than I am right now. I'm just really busy, but, um, I used to do a lot of conversations to, to young kids around like, Hey, listen, school can be tough, but this is not the prescription of what life is going to be like for many, because some of you are developing a muscle that is going to allow you to get flexed 
um, and, and bring you a level of success that you had no ideas waiting for you in the future. Right. No, I, I completely agree with that. Um, you also talk on your site and you're very open mm-hmm. about how you failed at several businesses. You've yeah. had almost so much success and that has also brought with it some, some failure. Um, in one case, you lost your entire life savings. This is a money yeah. show. We got to dive into this. Let's unpack that. Yeah. So I was, uh, when I started my sports business, um, I built it off of the back of speaking. And uh, when you're speaking on stages, you get this great opportunity to be in front of sometimes people that aren't your ideal customer that you're going after at the time, but it still doesn't mean that they aren't resonating with your message. And so I'd have a lot of people who would come up to me, even though I'm working with athletes and they say, listen, I love what you had to, I loved what you had to say around, you know, mental toughness and developing that along with, you know, how to build strong teams. And um, do you do any work with the government? So my first ever cut client, um, beyond sports was actually the Canadian government. Um, and I went in and I did this training with them. So long story, I ended up building this really big leadership program, uh, for almost all of the oil companies around the world and ended up uh, selling that business. And with the money that I made, I moved to New York city. This is back in 2007. And I started, uh, to come into the business of a friend who had was scaling, but it was, it was kind of beyond his, uh, skill now. And we partnered up together and he ended up a year later. Uh, so I, I bought into it with the money that I'd made plus a little bit more. And I, he embezzled all the money out of the business. And so I lost my, my, uh, all of what I had earned plus some more putting me into, putting me into debt. Um, and, and so my, the, the lesson I took from it, cause I was, it was a week later, I was out for a drink with a friend of mine, Mel here in New York. And she was like, this is unbelievable. If this was me, if I had just lost that much and it's millions, if I had lost that much money, I I would be underneath my covers, bawling my eyes out. How are you like out with me right now? And I was like, you know, yeah, I'm up. Of course I'm not happy that this happened, but I haven't lost my skill. Um, and I'm, I am still young. Thankfully, you know, I was 31 at the time or 32 at the time. And, uh, no, again, I was saying that, I was saying that outwardly just so I could believe it as well, but I was upset. And, uh, but the, the lesson I took away from it was, and I saw this, uh, great kind of answer from someone from, uh, this guy from Damon John, who's on Shark Tank. He was on a panel discussion at an event that I was at as well and speaking at, and, uh, someone had asked the question around risk and how entrepreneurs are just more risky. And he said, they're not, that's, that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make when, when they think of entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs have a higher risk tolerance, but don't make the mistake of betting your entire life savings on starting something. Those stories are far more rare than they are um, status quo. It's why they're stories because exactly you're, you're supposed to such a, such a great man, way of putting it. Man yeah. Bite, yeah, man bites dog, not dog bites man. Right? Yeah, yeah, and so uh, that would, so my point around that is um, I. Because again, you get clouded by the fact that this was a really close friend of mine. So you have a high degree of trust that of course you're, you're not even going to think about that. If this was someone who approached me, I'd be like, okay, well, how do I know this people person? And, um, yeah, so, you know, that was tough, but you know, it took me four years to claw out of the four and a half years to claw out of the million plus dollars in debt. And I mean, I actually met my wife in that time frame as well, which is 
why we have such a close relationship because she didn't meet me when I was at my high time. <laughs> you know, she met me when I was sort of crawling myself out. And, um, yeah, so that's, uh, you know, there's a lot of good things that came out of it, but not to say that I didn't wish it didn't happen too. So <laughs> what's your money mindset like these days when you, now that you've, you've have all this experience to, to, to pull from mm-hmm. and now you're, um, very successful. What would you say is your, your greatest sort of money mantra, a philosophy around money that you have? You have a lot of philosophies around leadership and business and entrepreneurship, yeah. but what about money? Yeah. I, I think that, um, for me, money is on the other end of me continuously every day, giving more and more value to other people. Um, and the more, when I was young, I would try to take such a direct route to the money. Like I'd focus on money a lot. And then all it did was typically make me feel bad that I didn't have enough of it at the time. Cause it was all, it's, it's such a scorecard for people. And again, this is coming from someone who comes from sports where we're always talking about, yes. you know, the outcome and, and then even in the training that we do, the most stressed and anxious athletes, the most stressed and anxious business owners or uh, corporate professionals are people who are always delaying gratification or delaying the enjoyment of their work until a goal is achieved. It's a terrible way to exist. You know, if you're always, if you're always focused on outcomes, 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 winning the race, earning the medal, winning the tournament, um, getting the check, all those kinds of things, they're fleeting moments in time. And so for me, I kind of back it up. And when I finally learned this for myself, again, it was me taking my own medicine from what I was telling other people that if I just stay focused on the process, the money is absolutely the outcome. It, it's just, I just don't focus on it. And, and so I know that if I stick to doing the work that I am engineered to do, that I am built to do, and oftentimes built to do way better than other people, um, just money falls out the other side. I'll still set, I'll, I'll still set goals. Like we still have, like my, yeah. my wife is a CFO. Like we are, and, and I mean, it's a phenomenal skill set to have in-house. Like she worked at Experian, which, um, and she was the CFO of one of their divisions. So she's got a phenomenal financial skill set, and it's amazing to have that in our house. But so we'll still, we'll still set those financial goals for ourselves. We just don't, fo- I just don't focus on them. Almost I'm of the type because I, I train on this. The moment I set the goal, because it takes for me, there's a lot of thinking that goes into the goal that I'm setting. And then the moment I've set the goal, my emotional response to the goal being set is it's inevitable. That thing has no chance of not getting hit. It's our sponsor is chase slate. And you were talking about goals. And one of the things that we've been asking guests in the beginning of the year is what is something that your wife, your wife and you are working on financially this year? Is there a, is there sure. a resolution? Is there a goal a specific? Yeah. So this year, the resolution for us is to um, solidify, uh, solidify the financial system around our kids and their future now. Um, because there were, uh, again, just, just like many business owners, there's many things that happen to you that you just can't predict. And I, in the last couple of years, I've had to go through a major uh, um, a lawsuit with a former business partner that I had to uh, take to court, and you know those things are expensive, and so some of those some of those kind of other financial goals were delayed. And so, but this year it's about really putting together that um, uh, 
financial system for our children who are all very, very young still. So that's one of the things that we're solidifying. Some insurance stuff, just a lot of the kind of uh, that security blanket kind of part of the financial stuff is mm. um, is a big part of it. And then because now, because the book has been such a huge part of my mental bandwidth this last couple of years, now it's also um, looking at and getting involved in some other um, investments on the real estate side of things. Awesome. Well, it's a good year to buy into real estate. I think uh, it's definitely becoming more of a buyer's market. Mm-hmm. And you know, to your point about getting your kids set up, that's so important because I think. And I just had an interview with um, a wealth advisor who was telling me that you know, for even the wealthiest of Americans, the transfer of wealth lasts maybe three generations. Yeah. So, you know, it's 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 a lot to say to someone like you need to make as much money and have it last for all the generations to come. But then I think what's really ha- the mistake that's happening is that over the years and th- as it gets passed on, the generations don't do their part, right. To yeah. keep it going. Yeah. Um, and, and to do the, the, you know, make the sound investments and uh, all that. So, but that's, um, it's nice to know that even when you achieve so much success, like Todd Herman, that there's still more that needs to be done on the financial plate. Like oh, you're, it's a work always. in progress. Always. None of us are. And I mean, if there's one, if there's one thing that I've been consistent with, um, that I always tell people is if there's any level of success that I've had is directly related to the quality of the mentors that I've had in that area. And so I didn't have, my father was always amazing with money. And my other brother, Ryan, who's a little bit older than me, he was around my dad more in working on the farm and ranch than I was. I was kind of um, around the house doing a lot of the, the, the kind of the crappy labor, like pulling the weeds in the, in the, um, the windbreak where the, where the trees were and stuff like that. But so Ryan was around dad and he maybe had a little more of a personality, but a personality for this too. But he's been amazing with his uh, financial investments more than I was. And so I delayed getting a mentor in the financial area longer than I should have. And the moment that I did, then that whole world got figured out. I like, I tried to do, anytime you're trying to do things on your own, it's, it's such, it's, that's the slowest way that you can do anything. Right. Right. No, absolutely. So the fact that people are investing their time and mental bandwidth and energy for your podcast I would say I would I would say that easily the level of wealth awareness and skill for your podcast versus another podcast would be completely different. Well, thank you. Absolutely, I'm going to put that on the cover of the podcast. <laughs> going in my marketing my marketing materials. We're we're, um, we're we're smart wealthy people hang out the so money podcast. Yeah, there we yeah. go. Yeah. Todd Herman. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about, before we let you go, I, I want to, I kind of b- forgot to ask this, but it's so important. Your alter ego, mm-hmm. Todd, Superman. Yeah. Well, he was an influence for it. Definitely. So, okay. um, it, you know, if, you know, most of my kind of profile photos have me wearing a pair of glasses. And I mean, I talk about it in the book. When I started this business, I was 21 and I was so insecure with how young I looked and, um, when I played uh, football at a high level and I played college football, I had an alter ego that I naturally used out on the football field and it was Geronimo. And Geronimo was a composite of a Native American tribe that I kind of had in my head um, taking out on the field and that kind of like war dance type thing. But also Walter Payton, 
and Ronnie Lott, who are two phenomenal Hall of Fame football players in the 80s and 90s. And they were my inspiration um, from a skill perspective. And so when I started the business and I was not doing the things that I needed to be doing in order to grow it, I was so insecure with how young I looked and who's going to listen to me if I'm on stage. Um, I remembered the whole alter ego that I use in football. And I was like, why don't I use the same thing, you know, in business? I mean, it's, I'm still trying to perform. And I always was around people growing up that were incredibly smart. Mark, Mark, this, my, my best friend in, in my small little school that I was in, he had glasses. And in my sister's grade, the year, the grade below me, James had glasses and he was super smart. So I just, adopted this belief at a young age that young people or uh, that people who wear glasses are smart. So I went out to lens crafters at the West Edmonton mall in Edmonton and where I lived at the time. And I bought a pair of non-prescription glasses. Now this was long before this is 97 long before it was cool and fashionable and stylish to wear glasses. Um, and even the optometrist was like, you don't want a prescription. Are you sure? And I was like, no, no, no. I got 2015 vision. It's and you know, funny look and all that. And I got the glasses and I, and I left, but when I put them on, I called it my, um, you know, reverse Superman or reverse Clark Kent. Superman would put on the glasses to become Clark Kent. I would put on the glasses to become my super hero version of myself in business. And those glasses, um, they carried with them the traits that I needed and that I wanted, which was to be decisive, which was to be confident and to be articulate. And when you know in our worlds, when you're trying, when you're trading information or ideas or coaching um, for dollars and cents, that what people are really buying from you is confidence. Because maybe at the time they don't have confidence, but they look to you as a vehicle to give them more confidence. So that's what I was really selling um, with people was for them to be more confident. Um, and they were going to get that from me with our system and it changed. And the moment I would ever have a thought of being insecure about my age, I would immediately take those glasses off because I would never dishonor my alter ego by wearing those glasses and feeling insecure because Superman wouldn't. That's a great story. I love that so much. And um, my son is four and a half. And between the hours of 5 p.m. and bedtime, he is Spider-Man. And- <laughs> Because we've had this conversation now, Todd, I'm going to encourage him to continue this for as long as he wants. Well, can I share with you one more story then that'll help yes, that? Yes, please. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who've got young children or kids. And um, I find that stories about kids anyway, it just resonate with people. So uh, one of the scientific studies that I reference in the book about why this process is so powerful for people is um, there's a great um, study that was done at the University of Minnesota by this lady uh, where they brought uh, a bunch of young four to six year olds into a room and they had a puzzle in there for them to work on, but the puzzle was unsolvable. There was no way to solve the puzzle. And so they wanted to see how long they would stick out and, and work on the puzzle for until they kind of quit to measure their level of grit and perseverance. Then afterward, they brought in a rack of uh, costumes, Batman costumes and Dora the Explorer costumes and said, Hey, pick your favorite costume. And, um, so they would, the kids would pick their favorite costume, put it on. And then they brought in another puzzle for them to try. And again, it's unsolvable. And they want to see how long they would stick it out now that they're wearing the costume and the level of grit and perseverance of each of the kids went up markedly. But not only that, the surprising thing was the level of positive self-talk about themselves because kids would say things like, 
Batman wouldn't quit, so I'm not going to quit. And, and that's the power of this. When we adopt the traits of the people that we admire or look up to or wish that we had, you end up displaying a side of yourself or you start showing up differently, right? And that isn't being fake. That isn't being inauthentic. That's, being, that's bringing your absolute heroic self to those moments of impact that are important to you. And so yeah, it's, you know, it's strategizing in real time yeah. with, with an actual model to yeah. reference, yeah. which is uh, a real, a real advantage in life. Um, and uh, I'm going to have to think about who my alter ego is. I'm trying to think. I got a lot of people on my on my list of people I admire, and I've probably over the years taken bits and pieces from people like I don't know Oprah, Murphy Brown, mm -hmm. Murphy Brown. That's class. <laughs> Murphy Candace oh, Bergen. Oh, I know. Uh, that's yeah, when I think about all the people that I love to watch on TV when I was mm -hmm. growing up, um, Barbara Walters. Yeah. Uh, but this is a you know when in doubt, always it's what would blank do. Yeah. And that's your, well, even Oprah Winfrey, I talk about Oprah's uh, alter ego in the book and how she, who is, Oprah's, who is it? So Oprah's alter ego was the tribe of women that came before her, that she is now standing on top of and allowing her to do what she can do now. So people like Maya Angelou, so hers was a composite of many. And so she has a quote that I share in the book. And she says, when I step on the stage, I never step on the stage myself. I step on the stage as one surrounded by many. Wow. And oh my God. I know. And it's, it's what I'm like in the, there's so many even, and I'll let everyone know that. So those glass, so on the cover of my book um, is a pair of glasses. And of course I just told the story about myself. And so people automatically think, Oh, okay, well that's, that's Todd kind of in his glasses. No, it's actually not about my glasses. And people think, oh, okay, well it's the Clark Kent Superman thing. Well, that's kind of smart. It's actually not about Clark Kent Superman. The glasses that I have on the front cover of my book are an exact replica of one of the most famous people in American, in modern American day history who led one of the most important movements of the 20th century. And you'll find out who it is if you read the book. Um, but the, there's so many stories furnish of people like Oprah, just they say subtle things that gives you a clue as to their mindset that helps them to do their, the hard things. Um, yeah, that's not a coincidence. No. It's not a coincidence how people achieve success. Todd Herman, thank you so much. The alter ego effect is out tomorrow. So you can, uh, that was a great tease by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, they can scratch that itch in a very short amount of time. Um, and yeah, I'm excited. We've got it on audible. So if people like it in audio form and, uh, of course, Kindle and hardcover. So, um, if you're, you're someone who is an achiever and you do hard things, um, then and I hope you'll find an answer in the alter ego effect. And if it's any indication of how incredible this book is, 19 publishers bidding on this book. Everybody wanted a piece of this. And uh, yeah. I, I don't know who published it, but they're, they're Collins, definitely yeah. lucky. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks so much to Todd for stopping by. You can learn more about Todd at toddherman.me.
Also check out his flagship program, 90dayyear.com. And the book again is called The Alter Ego Effect. You can follow Todd on Twitter and Instagram at Todd underscore Herman. If you missed any of this, just, you know what to do. Hop over to somoneypodcast.com. We've got all the goodies there for you, including the transcript, the audio, and there's also a button called Ask Farnoosh on the right. Click on that. Send me your question for the Friday episodes. Really love hearing from you. And if you're on Instagram, please join me there too, at Farnoosh Tarabi. Lots of questions answered there and some behind the scenes. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And I hope your day is so money. Money.